Welcome to episode 115 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers Podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I am Steve Garshinsky, and I'm joined today, as always, by J.P. Breen and Ryan Top. And I know both of you guys are excited for uh, all the awards coming out later this week, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Very am, excited? Oh, super excited. Nothing. Well, actually, I am kind of excited for the manager of the year one. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, And I will have opinions if Craig Council loses to one of the y- other two yahoos who are nominated. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah. JP, I know it sticks in Ryan's craw that uh, uh, Craig Council hasn't been... Um, what am I looking for? Recognized Public, as publicly lifted up as the savior he is mm-hmm. with his performances in Craig Timber. I I would imagine. So I think the best part was Ryan put in our uh, group G chat, like the link to all the different awards. And I was like, oh, shit, has that have the awards been given out? I was like, I must miss that. <laughs> and then I like looked at it and I was like, oh, no, this is just old. Got it. But I think it uh, so. No, I I understand that I'm in it because I'm I'd really like to see Ryan get mad about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like so you're I'm, saying you want Craig Council to lose because you want me to be mad about it. Is that what you're saying? Because that's I what I'm think, hearing you say. I don't think Craig Council would care if he lost. Oh, I think he's a competitive enough guy that he would be annoyed by it. I think that Craig Council knows just about as much about like how managers are evaluated to know that it doesn't actually like reflect anything. Now, if Craig Council wins, will he have as many bros with him on camera as Clayton Kershaw did? Oh, man, that was like one of my favorite shots where it was just it was like a law firm. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea what you guys are talking about right now. You don't remember that? No, I don't. Oh, man, you should find it. It was like, what was it when he won the it was the NL Cy Young was it his was it two years ago? It was only a couple years ago, yeah. Yeah, it was two or three years ago, and and he ended up like accepting it, and he was sitting in this in the center of this like wood paneled or like lo- like dark mahogany <laughs> library. Really? And, and then he had uh, what was it like seven or eight of clearly like his buddies that were behind him, but they were all just you know late twenties, like white dudes in collared shirts, just standing behind him like grouped behind for like you know the law firm picture yeah it was fantastic so i hope craig council does something like that i think that would really like elevate his standing nationally if he can do that i think okay. craig Coun- <laughs> i think craig council would like would win and then end up being interviewed and he they would ask like what does it mean he was like i think it's a really good reflection of our team i think uh you know everybody here is really proud of the fact that we put a, a great run in into uh september to get into the playoffs and they'd be like right but what do you think it means for you and he's like i think it's a great reflection of the team and then we'd just like do that for 10 minutes and then we'd be done wait do they interview the managers who win i would imagine that the milwaukee journal sentinel will absolutely oh the milwaukee journal sentinel i was was thinking of the the mlb network when they 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 do the awards no it'll be on mlb network they don't shit all to show during like what else are they gonna put on well but i I mean nobody remembers any manager that's ever interviewed for that you get the clayton kershaws that do their thing but otherwise nobody really cares i mean he could do something that's memorable he could do something he would be the first I think he should do it just like uh, Donald Trump does all of his like public addresses and do it in front of a helicopter so nobody <laughs> plausible deniability. Just be like everyone's like this audio sucks. We don't want to use this. And he's like, well, great. There you go. Or he should just call Josh Hader in to finish the end of the interview. Okay, <laughs> so 
<laughs> no, you didn't like that one? I am I, laughing. I, I was going to say, like, he, I was just picturing him and now saying, and now I would like to bring out one of the one of the key contributors to our team. <laughs> Everyone goes, oh, he's going to bring out, like, the assistant manager. He's going to bring out, like, you know, Ed Cedar to, like, you know, talk about this and really make this an entire manager. Ed, Ed Cedar, he talks about his dog <laughs> for 10 minutes or something. <laughs> Well, I, I thought maybe he'd just have Pat Murphy finish the interview, like get ejected, <laughs> start screaming obscenities of the air, then have Pat Murphy just slide into the camera. Well, what he should do is is like throw it to Bob Euchre and say, like, we're going to make this a Euchre award and then throw it to him and just let him tell stories for 20 minutes. Everyone is like, that was entertaining, but I don't understand what we were just listening to. And nobody will ever cut off Bob Mo- Bob Euchre's mic. I was, nobody ever. I was sitting in a press conference with Euchre. Oh, God, this is like almost 20 years ago now. You're old. It was 15 years ago, at least. I think it was around the time that he got his like 50 years in baseball award, or when they put up the plaque for that. So that would be like 2004-ish? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so the media's all in there, and they start, you know, doing the interview with Euchre, and then he just starts going and going and going. It was entertaining, but I'm like, this pertains to nothing like I'm rolling on this. I'm like I'm not going to not record it, but it has no use for whatever we were going to use it on in the news that. Did evening. you ever hear the story of him uh, at the Hall of Fame? Have I, have I seen him roll in in his blue Corvette right into Miller Park right before a game? Yes. No, I'm talking about when he Which got inducted. Is, that is the most baller thing you're going to see. <laughs> Every like everybody else, like Ryan Braun, is walking into the park. And Bob Euchre, they just open up the overhead door. He's in his vet, and he just rolls. And, I mean, it's not just like he kind of rolls into the the bay there. He's driving all the way into the stadium. (laughs) I have no idea where that car stopped. (laughs) Did you ever hear the story of him at the Hall of Fame? I was going to make a point here. They said, like, okay, you've been awarded, what is it, the Spink Award or whatever that they give to announcers? And they said, we'd like you to give a speech. And he goes, well, how much time do I have? And they're like, well, they usually take five to ten minutes. He goes, I need at least 15 or 20. <laughs> and they're like, okay. <laughs> and he gets up there, and the people behind him were like, he had on the podium nothing. So he was rolling off the cuff, just going. And some of it was the standard Euchre shtick, which, you know, having been around long enough, you know kind of the Euchre, some of the standards. But... It was still so well delivered and still so just like he he added moments for the day as well. And he was going completely off the cuff that it was it was truly a uh, demonstration of his abilities. That's why Carson always had him on. And that's when the Tonight Show was like 90 minutes. Did you? OK, so they talk about this in the Euchre doc or the Euchre documentary that runs on MLB Network every once in a while that he was on over 120 times. You think about the math of that when he started coming on in the early 70s. Through the time Carson left, you know, in the early 90s, that's like, you know, 20, maybe 22 years, something like that. It means he's on like every year, like five or six times. And they said that like Johnny had a policy that like we cleared the schedule for Euchre. Like if Euchre's in town and can come in and do it, we cleared the schedule and Euchre comes in and is on. And I mean, when he was doing Mr. Belvedere, I'm sure like it was on the same uh, studio lot as Carson was on. I'm kidding. I have no idea. Maybe, but I mean, he's in town, so he could come on and do it. But yeah, it was like if Euchre's around and wants to come on, we clear the schedule for you. Hey, there were two Midwest guys chatting it up. Well, yep. what I'd like, I'd like to point out um, to Bob Euchre, if he is listening, we would also clear our schedule if he wanted to come on, I think, is we what we absolutely would. 
I mean, we'd have to check with Steve, but we'd probably check, we'd probably clear our schedule. And I al- and I would imagine that Steve would also allow him to drive up in his blue Corvette into his basement. Definitely, yeah. For Euchre, I'd do that. Well, we had we had a listener. He messaged me. He had to do some like plumbing work at Euchre's. Okay, and he said he brought up the podcast. <laughs> yes. He listened to it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and Euchre was like, I don't even fucking know what that shit is. <laughs> like what? <laughs> You could like, you could like. I can think of like very few things I want to do less than listen to those three jackasses talk to stuff. Like, the man has to have something to listen to on his boat when he's out fishing in Lake Michigan, right? Like, you gotta have something. It can't all be like Frank Sinatra and Bobby Darren. It can. <laughs> I suppose it could be. Yeah, it could. So, anyways, uh, that got way off topic as far as. Postseason awards are concerned. So just give them all the euchre. That's what they should do. So, anyways, uh, help fans find this podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions. So, follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can follow the three of us on Twitter. JP is Ghost Runner on Second Base, Ryan is RD Top. And I'm Steve Garshinsky. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast network, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons receive uh, ball and glove and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast and the reporting is eligible weekly Packers preview. So definitely check that out. Um, might have you a little nervous about the Packers at this point in the schedule. Eh, maybe Paul wasn't feeling good about it. I didn't listen to this week's yet. I posted it, but didn't listen. Yeah, he felt he felt that uh, um, Carolina was a bad matchup for the Packers, and then also coming out of the bye week, you have San Francisco. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. Everybody tomorrow will know what's going on, but right now we're not sure uh, what the Packers did, and it could be ugly. So we'll see. Uh, anyways, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English Shell Malt Bombs and Perfectly Balanced Hop Grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. This Friday, November 15th, uh, they're releasing Shimmy Patrol Hazy IPA. I'm looking forward to that. I like hazies. You know, I know. That's not your thing, but like... No, I'm fine with it. Yeah, uh-huh. I don't need just one type of beer. I like them all. <laughs> My palate, you embrace beers of all faiths. My palate, I want to use the entire palate to enjoy beer as opposed to just focusing on one area. So uh, anyways, uh, it's brewed with a pale malt bill and Izaka and lemon drop hops. I've never heard of lemon drop hops, to be completely honest. Sounds interesting. They they plant lemon drops in the ground. Remember those? (laughs) It's like a Jack of the Beanstalk situation. We used to go to Farm and Fleet and get those. Do you remember? Do you know the lemon drops we're talking about? They I like, know. I know. Yeah. Lem- yes. I'm. Do they still make them? Lemon heads, I think they're called. Yes. No, 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 no. These are lemon drops. Okay. And they were they were whatever the candies they sold at Farm and Fleet. That's the ones we'd get. So go to Farm and Fleet. See if you can find them. And then pan, plant, plant a few and see if you can get some hops out of it. Or you could just take those and toss them into your beer. <laughs> That's called like Skittle Brow. That's called Summer Shandy. <laughs> this hazy IPA is light, crisp, and tropical with a slight herbal spice. Delicious notes of mango, lemon, citrus, pineapple, tangerine, and pine make you feel warm and squishy inside. It's a perfect IPA for these cold winter months. Visit the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard on Madison's East Side. As always, get 20% off of merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. Check out carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. Okay, so the Brewers actually made some moves this week. 
they that had we were somewhat not expecting. Like we knew there were decisions to be made on Chase Anderson and Eric Thames, but I mean, were we caught off guard that both guys were basically just let go? Anderson was traded, and Thames they just didn't pick up his option. But yeah, was that I mean, a surprise? I was gonna say, considering all three of us said that we thought they were gonna pick up both options, the yeah, I mean, I think it was. Well, I don't know. Like we said, they'd pick up both options, but did you feel strongly about it? No, and and right because I mean, I was even talking about with Chase Anderson that if especially him, I think more so than Thames that I even brought up. Um, I think it was Jordan Lyles as an example. Like if they felt that they could get Jordan Lyles on a one year deal for less than Chase Anderson, and they just kind of thought that they were both, you know, fine options that they could have as their fourth or fifth option in, in the starting rotation, if not, you know, fifth or sixth, depending on what other moves they make. Like I could see that, but I just thought, you know, Chase Anderson, the the amount of money that they were going to have to uh, to give up for that just wasn't necessarily all that much because there was no guarantee that they were going to get somebody you know for less. Yeah, I think it really does. It's a testament to how much they want to go into this winter with flexibility. They're going to have depending on whose option or whose uh, arbitration they decide to tender, and there's still a lot of flexibility with that. They're going to have a payroll going into the year somewhere around potentially 80 to 85 million, maybe 90 if they really like tender everybody, which seems unlikely given what they just did, right? Which means they are potentially as much as like $40 million below where they were last year to open the season, which they opened last year at 122 million. So they potentially could go out and really spend kind of on a lot of smaller guys, maybe make a big target like Yosemite Grandal for one of those things and then spread some money around elsewhere. They really have a lot of money to play with, presuming they're actually going to spend it, which I think, I mean, you guys would be pretty surprised if they cut payroll after the last couple of years, right? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I think, I think in the abstract, sure, but I also don't see them spending it just to spend it. They'll only spend it if they feel like they're going to be able to get surplus value out of any deal. Yeah, it's true. But I mean, I think they will find places to find that surplus value given what the market has been like the last few years there are places to get surplus value on the free agent market nowadays there's just there's lots of it out there that's mostly because nobody's getting paid but yes is exactly is, is there the possibility that at some point they look at like the seasons with christian yelich winding down and say maybe we will overpay to try to get a little more talent around yelich oh i thought you were gonna say like because i was actually talking to uh, I was talking to my folks the other day, and they were at, and they had asked me if I thought an extension to Christian Yelich would potentially be on the table. Um, I mean, I don't think so, unless they got a, a severe discount on it. But I mean, he's saying all the right things about how much he likes playing in Milwaukee and and how much he likes everything. And he seems to me, from the outside, to be somebody that actually does like to be uh, a big fish in a smaller pond, especially when that pond is uh, competitive. Um, and I think that he knows that everything is going to be catered to him, uh, which, you know, as it should be, he's one of the best players in, in all of the majors. But I I don't I don't necessarily think they're going to overspend. I just there hasn't been an example of of teams overspending recently. I just don't see it. I mean, the Red Sox did kind of after last season, and that's why Dave Dombrowski is no longer there. They well, went and That's why you get Dombrowski to basically they, just spend your money. They, they also didn't overspend. I mean, they took they, a pretty big risk on Chris Sale, given his health and given all that. And it, it looks like that's probably going to work out pretty poorly for them. 
No, I don't think it will. You don't? Hmm. Okay. We'll we'll see where that is in a couple of years, but I think it's it's fairly I mean, likely I, to be a I think, poor investment. I think anything that you're baking into any long-term contract for a pitcher, you are taking into account the fact that they could get injured. I think that that is 100% in every single projection. That's 100% in every single contract. And it's the fact that when he pitches, he's going to overpitch or he's going to overperform to what he's uh, making in any given year. And he'll underperform if, if and when he is injured. Yeah, it, it's certainly possible that it could work out that way. But I mean, even again, your best starting pitchers never get paid as much as what your top position players do. No, it's right. just I don't see him having a... 30s the way that like say Justin Verlander has had a 30s or Max Scherzer's had a I mean, 30s. I mean, but to be fair, nobody also saw him having the 20s that he had. That everyone is true. Said, everyone said he was going to get hurt for years. It's a fair point. And, but I, I mean, I think the largest point and you know my take on this will become uh, abundantly clear. I, I depressed Steve by having him read a, an article that's going to come out on Tuesday on Baseball Prospectus. Uh, my my point on this, I think, is abundantly clear about uh, what teams are spending on and what they're willing to spend money on and what they're not. It's it's pretty. I, Garrett Cole is kind of the opening example to use, but um, I I uh, compare what the Astros were willing to give to somebody like Jonathan uh, Single. Uh, Jonathan Singletary is what I was going to say. Um, but uh, to Jonathan Singleton and um, and he got $10 million, ended up providing absolutely nothing. And when they gave it to him, there was no guarantee that he was ever going to to be anything. He was a bust candidate because of how big his strikeout rate was. There were a lot of extenuating circumstances in terms of substance abuse and why they en- ended up giving it to him because, you know, where and when um, other things are legal uh but they're one of the big things that ends up coming up coming about it is why that 10 million dollar investment makes sense and why they are not willing to spend 10 million dollars over the luxury tax to get somebody like garrett cole and it's all because of what's a smart investment and what's dead money they're not willing to spend money and just caught and just eat it when it's not uh, a potential investment in which they can make more money off of it than they put in Okay, it's not because they call it a tax and billionaires are just allergic to taxes. If they called it, you have to pay a luxury yacht, do you think that more guys, more teams would go over that uh, threshold? I mean, the luxury tax is one thing, but shh, don't call it a tax. There's a lot of things. <laughs> There's a lot of teams that aren't anywhere near the tax that aren't spending anything like they can, like the Brewers. And they're definitely part of that. Anybody, basically every team in baseball could be spending a lot more than they're spending. Yeah, and there's a variety it, of reasons why that's not happening. Right. But it is a general point about when investments are seen to be smart and when they're not seen to be smart. And this and it's not about whether or not you can afford to do something. It's not whether or not you can afford to do something to improve your team to the best of your ability when you're in a contention cycle. It is all about whether or not you feel like in a in a vacuum, you can get a good deal on a player. And if you cannot get a good deal on a player in which you spend less money than you feel like you can get a production, then you will not invest. Right. They want to have the upside of being able to they're not going to give a deal if they don't feel that they can get, you know, a major, major return on it. Teams are boring. Teams are very boring now. They just want to maximize maximize their investment and minimize risk. It's very boring. So now what you have to do is change the rules so they have to work on trying to figure that out again. Yes, say they are they are invest they're they're VC firms. They are only willing to invest when they have a big payoff coming. Otherwise they're not willing to do it. It all sucks. Well, at least they're not getting taxpayer not my, money for their stadiums. Money. Who? Major League Baseball teams. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the thing here is like they're these are billionaires who are making a ton of money off of these investments and they're playing in for the most part, not 100 percent, but mostly playing in taxpayer paid for stadiums. So they're getting rich essentially off the public dime, which is abhorrent in its own way. Like while they're they're cashing their checks for all this money that they're raking in, they're doing so on the backs of taxpayers as well. So it's none of it's good. It's all crap, like you said. So it's a good thing that we're big fans. Um, <laughs> so we do have a Patreon question from uh, Jason Spitz regarding Christian Yelich. He notes that Yelich's deal runs three more seasons. He'll be a free agent at 31. If you had to predict, do you think he'll play out his contract and leave or sign an extension? So I kind of inferred that I thought he'd be done, especially if he wins the second MVP. I think it's going to be hard to keep a two-time MVP and counting in Milwaukee. But JP, do you think that they could possibly extend Yelich? Uh, I think that they could if they really wanted to. I don't I don't think that they will. Uh, th- the only argument that I could see is that they see Kristen Yelich being what they hoped Ryan Braun would be in terms of the face of the franchise. Um, with Ryan Braun's contract coming off the books going forward, I think they could probably see some replacement there. Obviously, Yelich would have to be paid more than than what Ryan Braun is, at, you know, on a annual what annual average value AAV, whatever the hell that is. Um, but I think that what they would end up doing is trying to take a look at whether or not they feel like they need to have a cornerstone for the franchise and whether or not Yelich wants to be that guy and whether or not he's willing to leave a little bit of money on the table to do it. I think they would do it via a larger signing bonus and still kind of get him as, as uh, on a discount through kind of the years he's already being paid. Either that or they could like up his uh, up his salary now and in the next what f- three years how many more years does he sign three three, three after so, this yeah so just basically uh increase what he would be making for those three years and then get you know year maybe four five and six or something at a severe discount by giving him a little bit more money now i mean they would be trying to do it in a way in which it uh makes sense for them financially in terms of risk because i don't think that they're going to necessarily just say you know like we're going to pay you exactly what it is now, but then give you the market rate in years four, five, and six, or something like that. Yeah, a couple things. One, if it happens, it's going to happen relatively quickly. The closer he gets to free agency, the less and less sense it makes. So we saw Ryan Braun sign that second extension. I think when he still had four years, five years left on his previous deal. So because I think he signed it in spring of 2011, and he was signed through 2015. 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, yeah. So you signed through 2015. So I think that one, you'll see it sooner rather than later. The closer he gets, the less likely it is. The other thing you would see, much like you've seen with the Nationals and what they've been doing, you would see some crazy contract structure where there's all kinds of money deferred and it would be weirdly set up. And JP's point is a really good one. They would definitely up the money being spent on him in the remaining three years as well. Or they might even just say, like, we're tearing up the contract and do that. That would be the only way I could see it. I don't think it's very likely. I also I also don't think if you are somebody like Christian Yelich, and this would be my take on it, I would not be willing to sign an extension prior to knowing what the new CBA looks like. That's a very good point. I think there's going to be a lot of that right now where a lot of people are hesitating because they just don't know what this what the market is going to bring. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be making a decision based on what the market looks like now, knowing that most likely 
given what we've been seeing, I would imagine that uh, things will get better for um, major league players. I don't think it'll necessarily get better for minor league players in terms of the CBA, obviously, because they're not a piece of it. But I do. I would be really surprised if you'd see any veterans go unless they got big money or if they were uh, a little bit worried. And you might see, I mean, to be honest, like you might see something like the the late season injury for Yelich in which he's like, I mean, it just takes one injury and he might just be like, I want to, I want to secure my long-term future now. I, I want to, I want to get this because I've kind of experienced what it's like to get a freak injury. And if it could have been worse, he would have even been sidelined longer. Um, you know, Twitter doctors were uh, kind of uh, telling us uh, different things and different stories. Yeah, I think there were a few that said he needed an amputation. Yeah, sorry about retweeting that guy, guys. Sorry about that. That was, that was an error in judgment in a very emotional moment. Very sorry about that. That is a good lesson. Any injury, just don't retweet whatever, you know, Dr. Nick Riviera. Nick Riviera is basically saying on Twitter about the injury the the baseball doctor oz yeah it is yeah that guy and i went and looked deeper later and yeah that that guy did not have a lot of credibility so <laughs> it was unfortunate um yeah i think jp's point is a really good one that we should look this off season there may be a bunch of guys maybe not like your garrett cole's like the very top guys on the market but i wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of those guys have opt opt outs like right after the uh right after the uh, the new CBA date is kind of there. You know what I mean? So that they can potentially opt out of their deal and get a new one at that point. You might also see some bigger fish, like think Dallas Keuchel, somebody like that maybe taking... Is that a big fish? Medium-sized fish, sorry. Um, a guy like kind him, of a fish. He's, I was going to say, like, more like a northern, not, not necessarily a muskie. Right, yeah. Uh, but you could see him potentially take like a two-year deal, a three-year deal, and then for like a lot of money because that's what you know is available. Well, good luck. He'll be like forty by the time he's finished with that one. Then well, I was gonna may maybe. Michael won't. Well, two two really quick things. I think the, the point you're making is is good, and we've seen uh, Hamels already say he's he's like I might just take some one-year deals for now. Um, which, you know, ironically is like exactly what teams would want you to do. Um, so, he, you know, he's like, I might just take one of your deals and go to teams that are competitive and those competitive teams are like, that sounds great. Um, and you might see that around the CBA. I also think, uh, one thing that maybe a lot of people wouldn't expect that I, I would, um, I would wonder if it could be something that we see this off season and it would be a Keston Hura extension. And I, th I think you might see the Brewers really interested in extending Keston Hira because uh, with the next CBA, you're not necessarily sure what's going to happen with arbitration, what's going to happen with time to uh, free agency, whether or not compensation is going to work a little bit differently in pre-arbitration years, you know, all of those different things. I might you might see them actually want to go in and say, we're not necessarily sure what arbitration looks like in year, you know, five and six for whatever hypothetical uh, Keston Hira's deal would look like. And they might want to get in on, you know, we saw the Braves do this with Acuna and different things like that. Obviously, I don't think it would be that big of a contract, but they might try to get on, get in on the ground floor because they do not want to be having that financial risk after the CBA. And I think he'd be a safer long-term investment for the team. Well, and the thing is, if we can see this, and if teams can see it, agents can as well. So it'll be interesting to see what agents pursue. It's also worth noting that, what was it, like, if you look at some of the top 10 lists, like eight 
of the top 10 are Boris clients. Man is like controlling the top of the market this year. He has all three of the top guys who are expected to get the mega deals. He has Rendon, he has Strasburg, and he has Cole. He also has a lot of the second tier type guys. Like Grandal is honestly one of the only guys in the top 10 who isn't a Boris client. So we'll see how all that you know shakes out as we go. But it's going to be a fascinating winter. I don't think it's necessarily going to be a fun winter. I think it's going to be one we're shaking our heads at a lot. Um, in terms of baseball fans. It's already Bre- a long winter. Brewer fans, I, I am optimistic. I do think they're going to spend money. I don't see them sitting on their hands here and not spending money. I think they may spread it around on a bunch of smaller contracts, but I do think they're ultimately going to spend a pretty significant amount of money. So, Well, I, I think what the Brewers are going to... The biggest benefit that the Brewers have, and I was looking at uh, some of the free agent stuff, is... They've got a lot of productive veterans that could be had on one or two year deals in which they could come in and find some stability, whether it's at first base, whether it's a third base, whether it's a catcher. You know, they've got a lot of ability to come in and go and get some guys. And I brought up Encarnacion last time as somebody that I'd like to see in, you know, more of a joking matter. But now that Thames has gone, like, I think he'd be a great option. I mean, uh, what was it? Major League Trade MLB Trade Rumors had. They were projecting like one year, eight million dollars. I would bite off somebody's hand for that dollar, for that contract on Edwin Encarnacion on a one year deal. And oh, we have a question about this coming up. Well, I was about say, the, the first base options. I would say the big thing that I would look at is if you want to see how many good options are in the bullpen. That's where the Brewers could actually spend some money quite a bit. Um, okay, so circling back to Chase Anderson, I just want to check in. Does anybody have? Uh, an opinion on the latest Spangenberg that was added to the Spanberger Spanberger Corey Spanberger Whatever. get it right Steve Spangenberg Spanberger you know what I don't think anybody's going to be thrilled with him if he's getting a lot of plate appearances I mean it's I a get- very good German name right like this is a good solid German name good for Milwaukee like that's positive it works I don't know there's there's got to be some kind of spam joke in terms of like a, it's it sounds very much like Spanberger good Good. Wow. We're gonna work. I was gonna make some kind of like whether or not we're, anybody, we're, we're gonna workshop that one. I was gonna workshop whether or not anybody was salty on anything as a spam burger. <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna work on it. We're gonna see. So he was a guy who he's a left-handed hitting first baseman who has like seventy power according to was a baseball prospectus. Said no. that Seven, it, it, no. He has. He does not have seventy power. He has seventy potential raw power. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, he was hitting before you get too far. He is twenty four year old, twenty four years old, left handed hitting first baseman. Twenty four in double in double A. Sure, that's not that unusual. It just means he went to college for a while. Right. But I mean, he's not like an advanced hitter by any means. No, which everything suggests. I mean, no. Uh, I mean, he was at Arkansas for three years, and then he was in the Colorado. So system. he kind of went to college. Wow. <laughs> Wow, that's a shot. So anyway, sorry I've to never, any Arkansas I've grads never, out there. I've never seen Arkansas pop up on the locations that listen to the podcast. So we can we can take our shots at Arkansas and be okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's better to take shots at Arkansas than lacrosse, where and we it, do actually have listeners. We took no shots at lacrosse. Lacrosse was fine. Yeah, what you think, like saying something is perfectly fine is is like i understand like midwest when somebody says something is fine they mean it's utter shit but like that's literally not what we meant throughout the entire thing right like it's there are a lot worse places in wisconsin and like read almost all of them than lacrosse lacrosse you could do worse as a 22 year old 
in 2018, uh, Spanberger between A and high A hit uh, 298, 355, 538 with an 893 OPS. And, you know, 22-year-old in A ball as a college guy, that's perfectly reasonable. Like, that's, that's the age you are when you're there. And then he came up to double A and played in the Eastern League in 2019. And he hit 237, 308, 399. So not good. Like that's that's not going to do it at first base. It's not close. But I imagine this is a situation where the Brewers have a list of guys that they're like, hey, this is a person who interests us. And we think that there could be something there. And we're going to hold on to, you know, like this list of names. And when something like this comes up with Chase Anderson, where they're like, well, we may because didn't they say they were leaning against picking up the option unless they could trade him. So they, they shopped around and they said, okay, who would be willing to do this? And so they, they had the, the blue Jays bite on it and they said, okay, well there's a span. I mean, that, that doesn't give me a lot of confidence in the talent they got back. It's we either get nothing or this guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he's basically as close that that's what sub replacement. I was going to say like, to give a little bit of background on Spamberger, uh, he is a dude with with huge power, showed it a lot in college. He's got a very, very stiff swing. He is somebody that swings and misses a lot. He's somebody that's really struggled once he's actually seen uh, pitching that's like as old as him or older. Um, basically, he was taking advantage of guys that were like worse than the pitchers that he saw in college. And once he's seen guys that are about as good, you know, as as he would be able to face in double A, he's really struggled. And, you know, he he. At most, like you're looking at, like if everything comes together, you're looking at like a, like a fringe platoon first base guy, like and and I and by and when I saw Ryan's eyes light up, being like that's something, um, I meant like if everything comes together, meaning it's not a very good chance, right? If everything comes together, he's what Mitch Moreland? No, Mitch Moreland is kind of a fringe. No, I said a guy. Fr- a fringe platoon bat not like a fringe first baseman who is a platoon bat ryan would take a chance on surrounding christian yelich with all guys that if it comes together after five seasons of waiting you know you could actually land on something i'm just saying your your ability to sit there and wait for a guy is is no one is a little over the top no one is saying that they're they're going to use spanberger this year in the big leagues unless he completely breaks out in some totally unexpected way that's not happening it's just it's organizational depth. It's a guy that can potentially be there. We'll see what he does when he plays in AAA and gets I to play. A feeling, on, you know, the I, moon ball. I have a feeling the only time we're ever going to talk about him again is when you guys do your minor league pod and you decide to go thirty plus deep <laughs> in the system. I mean, he's probably towards the back end of the top thirty. I would imagine exactly. So, so that's the only time he's going to be talked about is on that. So if you want to hear more about Spanberger after uh, this podcast, uh, join our Patreon, and then eventually Ryan and and JP will talk about him. At way some to point. sell the product, Steve. Way <laughs> to sell the product. Because I have a feeling that we'll never talk about him on this pod again. <laughs> Like, I would say that if you're trying to say, you know, the kind of impact that somebody like Spamberger might have if everything comes together is like a Ryan O'Hearn with the Royals. Like somebody who was like 
you know, he had a couple of good weeks and everybody was like, oh, that could be something. And then he was down in AAA again. And that's not to say, again, right? Like if if something happens and, and like uh, some unforeseen development happens and, you know, if they have something that they like with Spamberger, um, you know, that's great. Like there's always randomness. There's always got there's always the human element in which somebody can take uh, unexpected development. But like hanging your hat on that is not uh ever great and you know saying that like unexpected things can happen is not necessarily you know useful analysis for me but th- there it is well and, and if if spanberger if they were sorry if they really weren't going to pick up chase anderson's option then spanberger is a free roll it's just a guy to, to roll the dice on and see oh hey exactly that's maybe, why i'm saying i don't have works. a lot of confidence in him and the yeah. only reason he became a guy to talk about now is because the brewers declined eric thames option nice transition don't call attention to it <laughs> I was going to say, you know, when we are like when Ryan and I do this and we say how like professional Steve is and then Steve does that, like we we've got it. We know it. it. It's it's he's he's got like the Matt LePay feel in which he is able to do this thing in which, you know, it's it is entertaining once in a while to have like Bill Schrader sit there and be like, you're incredible. And, and Matt LePay goes like, yeah, OK, I just do this a lot. <laughs> but like, you know, people who listen to LePay already know that he's great. I mean, I did whisper it, so so uh, into the microphone, <laughs> which you can hear. So, anyways, Eric Thames, his option was declined, and I think this this hurt Brewers fans. This did, like, even if you can rationalize it, like people were upset because he was a fan favorite, and it always seemed like there were moments during the season, there were periods during the season that Thames would pop up and carry the offense for a certain. Even if it was a short period, he would make his, his impact felt. So um, Stern said that he would consider bringing back Thames on less money. JP, is that actually possible? Do you think they could get him back for less? Or is there going to be enough demand that other teams would probably outbid the Brewers? Uh, I mean, I think that Thames is probably more valuable than we've seen other guys go on like uh, waiver wire deals. But I, I absolutely think that Thames will not make as much money I think Thames will probably, if he signs somewhere, it'll be you know four, four or five million. I don't think he's going to be stuck, you know, doing what Mark Reynolds has had to do in terms of like taking a minor league deal or anything like that. But I, I depending on what other options are out there at first base, um, I think Thames has the clubhouse presence. He's got the ability that he's shown it over a couple of years, and he's got you know he's left-handed. He's not a right-handed platoon bat like like some other folks. Um, I still think he'll find be able to find a job and that might be with Milwaukee, but I think Milwaukee is basically like we, you know, what was it? Davis terms is the the market tells him what what people are worth. And so basically he was like, I don't want to commit to this. What is that? The invisible hand of the market? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Look for that on Tuesday. (laughs) Steve. Nailed it. Um, so we're going to have the ability to see what what goes out there. But basically, he's like, yeah, I don't want to commit myself to that. We're going to see what's out there, and I'd like to pay less. Yeah, I'm sure he would. And I, there's a very good chance he will. Looking at like what the market is this winter at first base, there's some guys. Jose Abreu is out there, as JP's talked about a bunch. Uh, Jose Edwin Encarnacion. And Jose Abreu is going to have a nice little uh, draft pick attached to him. Yeah, but for the Brewers, it's a third rounder, so it doesn't matter. The Brewers would actually be in a great position to sit around and wait for a guy like Jose Abreu for the market to kind of collapse on him and then say, hey, we'll do what they did with Yasmani Grandal last year, which is we'll give you a one-year deal and you can go hit the market again next winter and you'll get to play for a contender 
you know, a team we we think can be a contender. And Steve, I'm going to yeah. say you like actually like cut that little part in which he says a third rounder doesn't matter. Will I cut it or do you want me to put it on a loop? <laughs> I just want to be able to use it later where we can just like put it in where Steve's like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just a third rounder. I mean, a third rounder Noted. is a third rounder is a very small thing to give up for a guy of Jose Abreu's talent. You give that up all day. Like it's well, that, not a, that's it's not really a question. That's not what you said. You said third rounder doesn't matter. I mean, come on. It does, but it's it's small potatoes. It's not they well, don't have to give up. There are teams out there the way it works now. There are teams out there that small have potatoes to give can up. grow to be big potatoes. <laughs> Just yeah. like lemon drops can grow into being whatever. The, yeah, they whatever. can grow into being hops. Lemon hops. This has gone completely off the rails. <laughs> well, well, you took you were the one gonna, that went crazy on us and said a third round say, pick didn't matter. I, I mean, like I, I was just going to say, we're just trying to like troll you a little bit and you got like really defensive over it. Nobody thinks that's what you said. It's because he, he feels bad that he said it. Like it actually hurt him <laughs> once he realized he said that. He's and cutting it to himself. Yeah. And so, there's also uh, Kendrick's is out there. Howie Kendrick, uh, Justin Smoke, Mitch Moreland. There's a bunch of different first base options. Are we going through the, uh, the PJ Wessels question about what are the first base options right now? Well, we were going to talk about that in a minute. Why don't you do the question? Let's well, because you're already answering it by going through all these options. And PJ on Twitter asked, uh, who's penciled in now and uh, anticipating another Sternsian acquisition? And this is where you put your little notation down of everybody that was available. Yeah. So you have these other options. I think right now it, it would be Ryan Braun, right? Like that's, I don't know if he's actually working out and like taking grounders at first yet, but at if there's nobody else in place by like New Year's, then yeah, that's where you would probably head with this. I feel like Braun's got to end up at first base at some point. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, and I think that it's it is probable that he could see some time at first base this year, unless they were to go out. I, I think they're trying to keep their options open, but like if they signed Jose Abreu, well, then Ryan Braun's not going to be playing much first base, right? But you know, if it's Mitch Moreland. Ryan Braun would probably see a lot of time at first base. As well, a but the other thing is, though, when you, you look around the infield alone and you say, okay, they have these issues to deal with at shortstop, third base. I mean, is that what you want to go out and buy? Like, do you want to spend your money on first base if you have some kind of internal option? Well, they have a lot of flexibility now to be able to take deals where they come because they can they can go with well that's fine but eventually everybody's got to play an actual position right but if they they have guys they can go to at shortstop and third base they can also upgrade those positions if they choose so they have some flexibility where let's say dd gregorius's market doesn't really emerge they can go ahead and spend money on dd gregorius instead of you know and and maybe have arcia as either a backup as a utility guy or as a trade chip, who knows? They could do that. Or if, say, Josh Donaldson's market doesn't emerge at third base, well, they could maybe go and grab Josh Donaldson and then not bring back Travis Shaw. They have options. And I think right now they're in a position where they can, at a bunch of different positions, see what the market does and pounce on what is the best deal that they can make to try to upgrade the roster. And I think this first base thing fits right into that. They can do some things to they they can do some things at first base uh, and, and wait it out and see because there's so many options at first base. I mean, I I just think 
I think we're maybe overselling uh, Jose Abreu a little bit. I mean, he's really struggled against righties heavily, uh, especially this past year. I mean, he had a, he had an OPS that was under 800 this past year against righties. He absolutely mashed lefties, which is great. But I mean, that's basically what Ryan Braun offers you. I I think if Ryan Braun can handle first base in even a mediocre capacity, I think that they would like to do that if possible. Um, but I think the biggest thing that's end up that that kind of comes through this is if you have Eric Thames at first base, that means you have to have somebody to pair with him at first base. You cannot go into 2020 having Eric Thames as your only first baseman. He's shown that he's a little bit injury prone. He's also shown that he can't really handle lefties. And so he's he'd be ideally part of a platoon. And so they didn't want to go in and commit you know $7.5 million to somebody when they knew that they had to spend money then additionally uh, to be able to get somebody who could have the, handle the right, right side of that. And maybe that's Ryan Braun. But again, I would then say if Ryan Braun could even handle the short side of the platoon, then you would just say Ryan Braun handle first base. Um, I, so I think that if you wanted to get somebody, you'd want somebody a little bit more well-rounded. I think the only person that can handle first base that's not a platoon option is basically uh, Encarnacion. It's... it's, uh, it's uh, I mean, Jose Abreu, I guess, but again, you still don't want it to be that he struggles against righties because that's the vast majority of guys he's going to face. Um, and then I think you're maybe looking at Justin Smoke, and I, and, you know, and that's like everybody listening to this was just like, oh, God. And right, like, and that's like the third best option. Yeah. I mean, there are other potential. They could go with Kendrick if they wanted to get a guy who was maybe a little bit more contact first, uh, power second. That could be an option for them. I mean, Kendrick has some power, but he's definitely not your typical slugging first baseman. So, okay. Well, assuming that Eric Thames's days in Milwaukee are over, we have Adam Post who wants us to reminisce. He says, "What are each of your favorite memories of Eric Thames' time with the Brewers?" So, Ryan, do you want to start? Sure. Well, I have two. So, on the field, it's in 2018. His walk off against the Rockies where they were wearing the Milwaukee Bears uniform, which got completely ripped off his body when he got to home plate. And uh, it was a walk-off three-run shot early August. That was like like the peak of Eric Thames just mashing a home run to win him a game, walk-off. He had a few others. I think he won the Dodgers, maybe. Walked off the Dodgers at some point, something like that. But what I'm really going to remember Eric Thames for it is even like Eric Thames. It's Keon Broxton's impression of him in the dugout from 2017 when he did the after Broxton hit a home run, he walked towards the camera with his arms out slightly askew and did the Eric Thames like uh, this is not a visual medium, so I can't act it out. But he did the Eric Thames walk. This and is called this describing. Swing. This is called describing a meme. Yeah, well, and it was amazing. If you if you haven't seen it, go look it up. The Keon Broxton Eric Thames impression will live forever. It is truly, truly amazing. Yeah, maybe I'll go with his uh, theme song from uh, playing Korean baseball. I mean, that isn't from his time with the Brewers, though they did play it at Miller Park a few they times. They played it a few times. Otherwise, I know I like how he tormented the Reds because we always have somebody who torments the Reds. And that's basically how he broke into his time with the Brewers was that April when in he just 17. went like completely insane and like demolished the Reds. Yeah, and then uh, Christian Yelich picked up that mantle in 2018 and destroyed well, the Reds, and that was great too. 
Yelich is kind of good, but where he, he does it to everybody. That's he, not really like that's like when people used to complain, like, "Oh my God, Ryan Braun always kills the Cubs." And then you look at his stat stat line, and you go, "Oh, he did this against everybody because he was a good hitter." So, JP, what's your favorite Thames uh, memory? So mine. Uh, so there were a couple of things. So number one is like I really. Like just sentimentally, really enjoyed his early press conferences, in which in which it was just like very clear how happy and and excited he was to come back to to Major League Baseball and have a shot to to come back. Like he, it was one of the press conferences that you could just palpably feel how happy somebody was to just be given a shot to come back um, into the big leagues, and that was great. And like you know, more on an intellectual side, I really I loved reading uh, the profiles of him when he was playing in Korea, just kind of like his ability to kind of like fight through a lot of his struggles, how he was able to find success, a lot of the kind of what it was like to be Eric Thames and, you know, like being in Korea in which he is utterly visible all the time because, uh, you know, obviously he, he doesn't, um, kind of fit in it's, he's not like built for the rest of Korean society in terms of, uh, of everything being around for somebody that doesn't necessarily speak Korean and do all of those other things. And so I like kind of hearing about how much he would just focus on watching uh, instructional films and how he would focus. And he kind of like realized how much he needed to get into stretching and how much he wanted to like re re uh, reconstruct his baseball swing and how he was able to find success. And like that just was a really cool story in itself. But I also really liked his walk off Homer that bounced off the top of the bounced off the top of left field because uh, the left field wall because that was fun that was against what the rangers i think that was against the rangers in like 2017 it like bounced off the top of the 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 fence and went over i mean one of the great things about thames is you know since he was always kind of a platoon player um he'd get a lot of those like big late game at bats and he always had like the feeling like oh this could this could go the brewers way like there always seems to be those stretches where you go there is nobody that the brewers run up to the plate in a pinch hit situation that's going to come through but thames was like that guy where you're like even if he was on a cold streak you're like oh he could legitimately come through in the situation now right because he, there's so much power there and a really good eye for at the plate that he's going to put, you know more often than not work himself into some sort of account where he can take a shot at a baseball. Was he always going to come through? No, but nobody does. But when he connected because of that power, God, the man fun. could just man, send it, it out. Yeah. Yes, he could. And he was always involved in the uh, Brewers brewing uh, event that they did every year. I think this past year they competed with Rock. Yeah, and I will always have my Eric Thames shirtsy and my uh, – the when they did the uh, fear the beard shirts, I have mm -hmm. that one too. So I have, I have a lot of Eric Thames memorabilia around. He's a good memorabilia guy. Okay, so we didn't talk about it last week, but uh, the Brewers added Angel Perdomo to the forty-man roster. He's left-handed pitcher. JP, you have any thoughts on that one? I I'm not a hundred percent sure he'll be on the forty-man roster at the end of the offseason. I think right now they're trying to protect him from. Um, the rule five draft that's going to end up coming like Angel Perdomo is he's a he's a he's a lefty with a pretty big fastball he can run into the to the mid 90s he's got a good uh slider as well he can miss a ton of bats he often doesn't really have any idea where he's throwing it um which has been his struggle throughout a long period of time but I think basically what they're seeing is the fact that Perdomo is somebody who can profile as is a guy who can handle both lefties and righties if he's able to 
you know, hone his control, much less his command uh, of his pitches to be able to get into it. But in a world in which you're not having left-handed specialists anymore, in which you're not going to be having, you know, uh, loogies, and you're going to need somebody that can actually handle uh, over an entire inning, both lefties and righties. I think that Perdomo's value gets a little bit higher. And I think basically what they're doing is they know that everyone's going to be looking for left-handed power arms in, in the rule five draft. And they want to protect him because I think they would like him to be in triple a again, so they can move him up and down. Yeah. I mean, last year he had an ERA over five in triple a though. That's not particularly astonishing considering what the hitting environment was there, but he also struck out more than 13 batters per nine. So you have a guy who can miss bats and, yeah, we will see. He has been around a little while, but lefties often get off to late starts in their careers as far as especially left-handed relievers get off to late starts of being productive players. So we will see. It's interesting. Um, okay, so we have a question from Nate DeCosington. He says, do you see Stearns and Brass signing uh, Wade Miley, uh, Jake Odorizzi, Madison Bumgarner, or a combo of these players in the offseason? I mean, no. <laughs> what that was a no from you, JP? That was a no. Huh. I would not be at all surprised to see Odorizzi or Bumgarner sign because both were offered, uh, both were offered uh, qualifying offers. So, which is why I think they will not be coming to Milwaukee. Which is why I think they will be coming to Milwaukee. Yeah, I think I think, o- I think Odorizzi basically is going to probably accept his qualifying offer. Um, and if not, I think most likely the twins offered it to him, knowing that they would probably be able to come in with a one or two year offer, um, and kind of undercut the market and uh, Bumgarner, I don't, I don't really see Bumgarner fitting in Milwaukee. I don't know. I, it, I'm not, I don't really care for it all that much. And I, I mean, Miley, maybe, I guess I think that they're going to be, uh, I think they're going to be fishing in different waters. Hmm. I mean, I, I did say this on Twitter and I would like to reiterate the point. Again, I do think the Brewers have a very likely chance of signing one of these guys who was offered a qualifying offer when the market kind of sifts out and you get into February and guys are looking for places to play and the market has kind of crashed on them. I think there's a good chance uh, somebody like Bumgarner or Abreu or Odorizzi, one of these guys ends up in Milwaukee. So I think I, I would just say I would be very cautious of. And and that very well might be like it, it logically it makes sense. I would just be very careful to not assume that just because the Brewers did it with Grandall, that is now an organizational strategy, or now it is not going to be something that other teams across the league see as a potential option for them as well to be able to get somebody on a cheap one year deal. No, I mean there will be other teams that will try to do that as well. The question will be what kind of flexibility will those teams have late in the winter? Because the part of the reason that the Brewers were able to do it was late last winter, they still had money to go out and sign like a Mike Moustakis. Grendel was a little bit earlier, but they still had money available. They were willing to spend at that point when a lot of teams were kind of at the point where they're saying, nope, we've done our business. We're done. We're not adding more payroll at this point. The Brewers kind of kept some options open. And we do know that Mark Antanasio is flexible in terms of when there's an opportunity there to add talent that they will fudge the payroll a little bit. They will move it up. They will, they'll expand it if the opportunity is correct. So yeah, JP, what do you think of Wade Miley who pitched really well early through the middle of the season? And then by the end of the season, he was completely unpitchable dumpster fire. I mean, so you kind of got both 
Wade Miley's that we've seen over his career? Because he's had moments where he's been really good, and he's had times when he's been unpitchable. So, like, how is that guy even valued on the market? I I think it'll be a it'll be another cheap deal. I think he'll he'll have to kind of fight for something. I think the biggest thing to remember about the Brewers, uh, well, two things. Number one, so I I hear Ryan saying that maybe the you know the the idea that the Brewers have to like operate within a budget is kind of like a false thing, and it's basically they're willing to invest when they see profit opportunities, um, and that I think uh, I hundred percent agree with, um, and. The other thing that I see into what the Brewers are going to have to fight is exactly what we were talking about with the the Lance Lynn when he signed with uh, when he signed with the Twins on a one year deal or two year deal or whatever it was, and everybody was like, "How did the Brewers not beat that?" And I was like, "They very well might have," but again, every single starting pitcher who is in the uh, is kind of in the um, realm of like, you know, they could be they could be solid, they could be useful contributors. They're coming into a situation and they're going to and and they're going to be signing for a situation in which they know they are not guaranteed a starting spot and they are not guaranteed a starting spot in April. And they're certainly not guaranteed a starting spot by the end of the season. And if you're looking at somebody that is going to be signing a one year deal and trying to reestablish value in an Odorizzi sense, if they're talking about that, I'm not 100 percent sure that I would want to be Odorizzi coming into the Brewer situation, which I know that I could be like Chase Anderson and not even be on a hypothetical postseason roster. Um, I would be in a position in which I would want to make sure that I am getting starts across the board. And so I think the Brewers, again, are going to be looking at either really, really low ends, you know, your, your Gio Gonzalez guys of the world, um, you know, which again, like maybe Jordan Lyles is going to fit, fit there, or they're going to be going in for somebody that they feel is for sure an upgrade on what they already have. I mean, I think they have enough wiggle room at this point with they only have three established starters uh, on the roster heading into next year. They have Woodruff, they have Davies, and they have Hauser. Really, that's like it. And they've got like four guys that all could absolutely pitch their way into a spot. And they have Burns and they have Peralta behind that, though we have that's questions. Suter. They've got Suter as well. They have Suter as well, though, again, they may want to have him be more of a middle reliever. Absolutely. And that they sign as a starting pitcher on the free agent market, you could obviously see them turning into a bullpen piece, too. Yeah, I think that, again, going back to the point I've made a bunch of times on this podcast already, I think they're keeping their options open and they're going to attack opportunities where they see them. And there are lots of guys out there that could potentially fill holes on this team. And they're going to look at the ones that they think they can get the best deals on to best fill out the roster. And they have space to do that. And they have some time to make some decisions throughout the month of November. They don't have to make a decision on tendering guys arbitration until early December. I think it's December 2nd. But my point is that we often think about free agency and too often we think about free agency as this thing in which the brewers can sign whoever they want as long as they want to. And that is not true. It is a two, it is a two way street. And so they need to have somebody that wants to come in and be pitching in a in a, a, a rotation or a pitching staff in which they do not have a guaranteed spot in the rotation, they could be shuffled in and out and they could be shuffled to the bullpen. And not every single guy is going to want to go out there, especially if you're looking at somebody that is is a, a qualifying offer, a potential guy like Oda Rizzi. I, 
Madison Bumgarner is certainly not a guy that's going to want to be moved around and not guaranteed to, to have a spot. But he and wouldn't so, be. If you sign Madison Bumgarner, you'd, he'd have a rotation spot unless he, through underperformance, loses it. He would have a rotation spot. Like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't jerk him around and move him, bump him like they do with Brent Suter or something back and forth. Yeah, and I'm saying that I don't think the team necessarily wants to do that unless they're getting a huge upgrade. Like, if they're going to go out and get, like, a Zach Wheeler, um, like, Zach Wheeler is a better starting pitcher than everybody on the team but but Woodruff um like I don't th- like that's fine uh but Bumgarner is like arguably then what like your I guess like a, a reputation wise your second starter but like production wise is maybe like an SP4 now yeah and if you get that on a one year 12 million dollar deal do you have any problem with that no but I'm saying that there are then a whole lot of teams that don't have a problem with that yeah, I mean, it. the market is different depending on which team you're talking about because the Brewers only have to give up a third rounder to sign a guy with a qualifying offer. There are a lot of teams that have to give up first rounders to do that. If you're in the if you're not in the revenue sharing portion, so if you're not, you know, in those 12 teams or whatever that receive revenue sharing and are part of the, the compensation draft pick thing, most teams have to give up higher picks. So the Brewers actually do have something of a structural advantage there in that they don't have to give up as high a pick as like the Cubs do to sign a guy in that situation. So okay. it changes the calculus. Okay, moving on. We're going to wrap this thing up here. Uh, we have one more question from PJ Wessels, which he asked a few weeks ago, and we saved it for this week. Uh, what are your awards predictions uh, for this for 2019? So looking, when do they start? When do they start releasing them? Is it? I believe it's Tuesday. This week. Yeah, I think it's this week. Because they, they do it, they do it daily, don't they? Yeah, I think they do like the the manager and the rookies on like the same day, and then they spread out the other ones like on individual days. Yeah. So so, so what do you got, Ryan? Who, who are your AL NL MVPs? Cy Youngs? Do you want to do manager of the year and rookie of the year? Yeah, I got. I'm pulling up the the thing right now though. My yeah. JP, do you know? Because Ryan needs his notes. <laughs> well, I'm looking at the finalists. So, uh, I mean, the ones that we care about here, the NL MVP is down to Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, and Anthony Rendon. And I would be shocked if it's not Cody Bellinger. I think that Bellinger slumped in September, but Yelich got hurt. And Yelich probably would have gone past him, I think, if he continued to play like he's been playing for the last, you know, eight sure. seasonal months. But given the narrative and, you know, the writers, they don't like to give MVP awards to the same person year after year. You've noticed this, like even if they're by far the most qualified player, they don't like to do it. So they who's like your to pick? Switch it up. It's going to be Bellinger. Fine. I think. That's all we needed. JP Bellinger in the NL. Yes. <laughs> See, that's all you needed to do. Um, over in the AL, I think it's a two man race between Mike Trout and uh, Alex Bregman. Trout, who's in a similar situation to Yelich in that he got hurt late. Yeah, he missed less time, but he did miss part of the season. And he also wasn't on a team that was in it, which, I mean, you can say that doesn't matter, but it still factors. Mike Trout should have won every AL MVP since he came into the league, with maybe the exception of 2018. So who's your pick? I think Trout is going to win it and should win it. But JP, who's your pick? I think Bregman uh, wins it because Trout missed time. So uh, what do you got for NL Cy Young? 
NL Cy Young. So that was the. I was going to say it's got to be Garrett Cole because I always think of the Astros in the <laughs> National League. Still, I, I think Justin Verlander is going to win it. I think Garrett Cole should win it. Justin, you're talking about the AL. Oh yeah, sorry. My my yeah. joke was that I still think of the Astros as being in the NL. Got it. Well, I just heard Astros and. You <laughs> yeah, I think that. It, it, okay, the AL one. Yeah, I think Cole is probably going to win it. Because they like to give it to somebody new. Yep, Ver, uh, Verlander has won his. Um, over in the NL, Ryu got off to a great start, but faded late. That's going to probably hurt him. Jacob deGrom won it last year. Um, so give me the outside shot on, on Max Scherzer. I think, uh, it'll be, I think it'll be deGrom and not close. It'll be deGrom and not close. All right. And then in... That's crazy, because I think if everybody... My impression is people think deGrom had kind of a down year. Or he at least got off to a slow start. Y- yes, he did get off to a slow start. But I, you know, you get off to a slow start. That seems to kind of dog well, perception. So I was gonna say, I think a couple of things. I think Scherzer was probably like the fifth or sixth best pitcher in 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 the NL. I mean, Jack Flaherty and Steven Strasburg were far better than Scherzer this year and probably deserved to be on it before him. Uh, Ryu, I don't think is going to throw enough innings for people to like that. And then Degrom, the fact that he had a sub two ERA in his last like twenty some starts is going to basically push him over the top. The, and the fact that. Even though the the Mets were not in contention, the fact that everybody understands, you know, there are so many writers in New York and everything. Everyone knows what what has been going on with the Mets. And I think that DeGrom, I think DeGrom should get it. He should he should win it. Um, I think if you went by like advanced metrics, I think that uh, Strasburg was clearly the best was clearly the best pitcher in the NL, but he's not even on it. So that's not really a a conversation point i guess you're you're right it's going to be Degrom. it i i was wrong i was okay. trying to be outside the box last question uh, nl nl rookie of the year no. okay. it's pete alonzo in a Fine. walk there's yeah. no question al rookie of the year it's jordan alvarez in a walk right like those are not close and then al manager of the year i think it's probably going to be rocco baldelli for the twins just because he's a rookie manager the twins were so unexpected Kevin Cash, because these manager of the year awards, you're usually like, what do you expect to happen? Cash for the race. You're burying the pick everybody wants you to hear. Who's the NL manager of the year? I'm getting to it last, leaving it for last. So the three people who are nominated for the NL manager of the year. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's bury it more. Can we go back to the fact that in the AL rookie of the year, I just learned that John Means with with the Orioles is left-handed. I had no idea. Legitimately had no idea. Like, just... No, like I'm looking at you it. You didn't watch a lot of Orioles games this year, Breen, for shame. I know, that, I know that's shocking, but like I even wrote about John Means this year and I think probably called him a righty. He avoided he avoided them to such an extent he got all the way to the other coast just <laughs> to <laughs> not watch the Orioles. Um yeah, I mean, do you what do you think the AL manager of the year is going to be, Breen? Like what's your do you think it's going to be Baldelli? Yeah, I think that I'll think they'll give it to the Twins because they'll be like all excited about it. Yeah. Okay. So NL Manager of the Year, you have Craig Council for the Brewers. You have Mike Schilt and Brian Snitker. Schilt for the Cardinals, Snitker for the Braves. Anybody who watched any of that series between the Cardinals and Braves would have seen an absolute shit show of managing where they both were like trying to outdo each other for shitty, awful, bad managing. But of course, these votes were all cast before that. So it, that doesn't matter. I, I do think Craig Council wins it. I really do. I think that because they had such a strong narrative of how they finished the season, because of the fact that like Christian Yelich goes down and all the national writers wrote them off and said, okay, the Brewers are done, right? And then they just kept winning, kept winning, kept winning. And because they kept winning in such a way that you could 
go, well, yeah, some of this is great counsel because he's pushing the right buttons in the bullpen. Now, whether or not that's true or not, whatever, but the point is that they could at least point to it. I think that because the Brewers closed the season the way they did and because it was attributable, you could see what counsel was doing. I think that he will win the award. JP, Craig Council, manager of the year. I think Snicker wins it with Atlanta. Because oh. didn't Snicker win it last year with Atlanta? He did. He saw two in a row. Well, I don't track of who wins the national. No, Snicker won it last year. Award? Do you think writers care the same way about manager of the year that they do about MVP? If anything, I feel like manager of the year is like gold gloves. <laughs> like once you win one, they'll just keep awarding it to you regardless of how much like you actually deserve. Well, it. no, because manager of the year, we've talked about this. It's because it's, manager of the year is all about like how good you're expected to be. Well, once your team is good, you stop winning manager of the year awards because people expect you to be good. So they just take for granted what you're doing well. So they kind of ignore you at that point. So manager of the year is one that if you go back and look like throughout the history, there's some real funny ones where you're like, wow, that guy won a manager of the year award. He was fired like a year later for being awful. And then he never got another job. And, but he won it that year because the team was a surprise. So no, I, I, I do think it's council and I think I will be mad if he doesn't win it and I will throw a tantrum on Twitter. So I know look you're, for that. I know you're going to be mad if he doesn't I think, win it. Uh, oh, I will definitely I, throw a tantrum. Very, very mad. I, I think Snicker wins it because I think that if you want to take preseason expectations into it, uh, the NL East was seen to be an absolute monster considering what the Mets did in the offseason, uh, considering the expectations of what the, the Phillies were going to be doing with Harper and the fact that you still had the Nationals there. Um, I still think that and I, and to be honest, I think, you know, I think that Atlanta deserves a lot of credit for what they were able to do throughout the entire year to be able to get in. I mean, their pitching staff for the vast majority of the year was an absolute nightmare and they still were able to win. Um, so I, st- I still think the fact that maybe a, I don't think that they're going to give it to somebody that doesn't win the division. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, and again, you guys get a pretty short turnaround on whether you're right or wrong. Didn't we oh. do that last week? The manager of the year awards get announced early this week, do they? I think so. So, anyways, pay attention to that. Uh, just follow Ryan's Twitter account. If it's either joyous or depressing, you'll know kind of what happened there because this is basically what he's balancing the offseason on at the moment. So, <laughs> right? I, I'm Craig relying on this. This for my is all you desperately wanted. You just wanted Craig Council to get what he deserves as national recognition. I do. I want him to get the national recognition he deserves. We all do, though. Craig does a great job, and we love him as our manager. Right, JP? Yeah, I think he's one of the best man managers that we've seen in terms of in terms of managers in the last like decade or so since I've actually like really been paying attention to this stuff. I think he's the in his his ability to um, handle a, a big roster in terms of kind of getting guys comfortable with an unorthodox way that he wants to be able to shuffle guys all around all the time, his ability to, to show trust in, in younger players and give them the ability to kind of step in. We saw that with Trent Gresham this year. He's willing to pull that trigger and do it. Um, his ability to like move starting pitchers into a role in the, in the bullpen in a way in which they're able to maximize their ability, I think is a, is something that a lot of people and a lot of managers would continuously try to force them into the starting rotation. He's shown his flexibility there, and I think his ability to communicate is some of the best that we've seen. So, yeah, absolutely. I love Craig Council as the manager. I, think, I love being able to like have a manager and not have to think about it, exactly. which is 
is so, awesome. You know. Yep, we all love Craig, so hopefully he wins. If he doesn't, you know what? They still play baseball next season, and it doesn't matter. So, uh, anyways, we're gonna wrap this thing up. Are you ready? We went longer than I thought. I'm like, oh, this could be a short one. We always go long. Yeah, and we're a good like hour ten into this, I think, right now. So, uh, anyways, if you want, you can join our Patreon by visiting Patreon.com/slash/MKETailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKETailgate. You can submit questions to Milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Podcast Network. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.